The Betfair Exchange. More ways to bet, more ways to win. Proud sponsors of the Final Furlong Podcast. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by attheraces.com, the ultimate online resource for racing fans. Welcome along to the Final Furlong Podcast. I'm your host, Dimash Kennedy. Great to have you with us and also great to have the youngest trainer in Ireland. Join us, the newest member to the Irish training ranks, Mr. Donegal O'Brien. Welcome to the Final Furlong Podcast. Thanks, Dimash. How are you? I'm all right, thank God. Still sane. Still single. <laughs> from, an off, from an off-air joke as well. How, how is lockdown treating you? Yeah, it's, um, it's okay. It's, um, I suppose we are luckier than most people and that we still have something to do. But um, yeah, it's, um, it's what it is. Yeah. We can't really do anything about it, Tonica. It's that we're all in this together and we have to just... Yeah handle it together as well. You're in a nice spot in Longfield Stables. That was where David Watchman was based for a very long time before he retired. And, um, and yeah. that is now your base of operations. Before I move on to your training career, we have to talk about your career as a jockey because you made an yeah. announcement that was it was always kind of there hovering in the air because your physical makeup it's almost impossible for someone of your stature to maintain uh, a physique to be a jockey. So it was a race against yeah. time for Joseph and it was a race against time for you. But the announcement came on social media. It wasn't a grand gesture that I'm going to bid everybody a fond farewell on the race course. It was through social yeah. media. Was that a decision that you were thinking about giving it another go this season or had you made your mind up that, no, I'm done? No, I knew for, for a good while. Um, it was kind of it was something I didn't want to make a big deal of, um, but at the same time you kind of have to announce something rather than just you know fading away. So um, I just done it as quietly as I could, and um, you know as it is what it is. It was um, as you said, never going to happen forever. So um, you know it was just a matter of time. So was it something that you had to battle with to accept the fact that I can no longer do this thing I love? Uh, not really. Like it was, um, you know, I didn't ever think I was going to be a jockey my whole life. Um, and look, when you see the the, the path that Joseph's career took, um, mine was always always going to follow along similarly. So, um, you know, it was kind of just a, a matter of when was the right time to um, to say it's enough is enough. And um, you know, that, that's the decision I just um, I just made. We've talked about jockeys' diets and we've spoken to jockeys about it as well. Can you just give us an insight? Because I imagine Christmas was a good one for you once that decision was made and you can finally start to pig out and all the food that's available. It's a hellish lifestyle. Yeah, it's um, it's, it's not easy. Um, it's it, it mentally is nearly tougher than physically. It's the, you know, I would say if I had racing for a few days in a row, I'd, I'd eat nothing um say the day before the race is nothing that morning um, I'd go racing and, and I'd get something to eat on the way home and, and every time I got something to eat on the way home I knew that I had to lose every bit of that in the sauna the next morning to go racing again and it um it mentally breaks you nearly more than anything but um you know it is what it is I was in a lucky position and it was something that I was more than willing to do to um to be able to ride the horses that I was riding but how did you then have the energy to do the job that you were doing because when you outline that and you think of a meeting like Royal Ascot where you would essentially have a ride in pretty much every single race that day and all week long as well, for that matter. When you think of the diets that, I know it's a very, very different thing, but Premier League footballers have, have a diet that's all about energy and your job as a jockey and the job of your fellow jockeys is a very energetic and very energy consuming lifestyle. So how would you manage to do that job when you're not actually being able to put stuff in your system to give you energy? 
Yeah, well, well, realistically, um, you know, jockeys have to be fit, but but at the same time, it's it's only physically demanding for a jockey for really, you know, look, depending on how well your horse is travelling, somewhere between two and four furlongs, which is you know going to be you know probably less than a minute that you're really going to have to be physically under pressure, and um, in most cases, adrenaline kind of gets you gets you through that. Um, and it's you know once you once you've been riding a long time, your certain muscles that you you know they're very specific muscle groups that you use when you're riding a finish, and they become so strong and so used to it that you know you don't even need a lot of energy to be um, to be at your strongest. And um, it's more the first half of a race; it's it's more um, mental that you're um, actually using more than actually your body. So you know although it, you do need to be fit, it, it might be as you know physically demanding as as perhaps maybe a, a jump jockey or something like that. But um, you know, for the most case, adrenaline gets you through, I found, anyway. That's the best explanation I've ever heard for what a jockey <laughs> has to go through. It's it, Seriously, it is. That's not an obsequious behavior. That's a very, very intelligent and very eloquent way of, of explaining it. Um, yeah. When did you first, cause you obviously grew up in racing and your family is, is steeped in racing success and sympathies on the passing of of your grandfather. Thank um, you. Joe was obviously a, a larger than life presence in Irish racing, but your father and your mother are huge figures in the sport. When did you realize, or when did you actually start work riding a belly doyle? When was the, the seed planted in your head about being a jockey? Oh, um, I like I always, it was, it was, that was always what I wanted to do. Um, I am, um, I started, we were, you know, all four of us have been riding ponies since literally before we can walk to be photos, you know, sitting up on horses when we were babies. And, um, just gradually dad and mum took us along and I think um, I probably first sat on a racehorse when I was eight or nine and, and probably first rode work when I was probably 10 or 11, something like that. But it was um, it was very much um, the way I wanted to go and, and um, thankfully it, um, it, it, it all went to plan, thank God. You were, what age did you say you were when you started work riding? I would say about 10, I'm not sure though. And is that work riding at Ballydoyle? Yeah, but like, I mean, there was, dad used to, that used to let um, me and, and, and Joseph was obviously a bit ahead of us, but me and my two sisters would, would ride work on, on some of the lead horses if they weren't um, if they weren't needed and just kind of basically teaching us how to ride through the walkie-talkie and things like that. So it's, we were lucky it wasn't something that many people do get to do growing up. That was amazing. Uh, what jockeys do you think you were most influenced by? Because there were a lot of really high-class ones that passed through the door of Bally Doyle and still there now today with Ron Moore and Jamie Heffernan and, the, and Wayne Lorden and the crew. Yeah, like um, obviously that them lads are over there, but I don't really, I don't, I don't remember. I pro- I didn't understand racing or race riding enough to be learning from from the likes of you know Johnny Kieran, uh, McGann, all those guys. So it was probably probably you know mainly Joseph and, and Ryan and Shami that I probably learned learned most from to to, to be realistic about. It. And how competitive was it then? When because Aiden could have five runners in a race and all five could genuinely have a chance. Um, How competitive is that then? And how was that divvied up? Was it always based on Aidan's opinion of who he would feel was best suited to the horse? No, it was so, it would be, um, uh, look, sometimes there'd be special situations where where maybe a shammy rode it, if a horse is particularly difficult and one of us is riding it and all its work, we might stay on it, but usually it would be, say we had four runners, Ryan would have first pick, um, say, up until the last two years, Shami would have second pick, and I had second pick maybe the last two years, and then Shami then Wayne, and it just went down long like that. Did you ever think you would become Irish champion jockey? Ooh, um, 
I, I, I always wanted to be so um, and and always thought that you know if I was if I if I always I wouldn't say uh, yeah I knew that if, if if I was riding well enough and if I could get myself to a position where where I could ride um, most of the valley oil ones then I'd have a serious chance at it because of the ammo that that has so um, it's always something I wanted to do and. Um, I was lucky enough to be able to achieve it um, thanks to um, a lot of good horses. You've been very self-deprecating there because it, it, like, it doesn't really matter how much ammo Aiden has. You still have to get picked up by other trainers and other trainers are not going to book you unless they think you're good enough. And that's something that you proved. Joseph proved it and then you went and proved it as well, that you were a world-class jockey. Did you ever feel extra pressure on your shoulders because of who you are? Um, I, I don't. I didn't really care about it, to be honest with you, and that's the that's the truth. Um, it's not. Um, you know, I don't. I don't really go on social media much. Um, so I don't really care what people are saying about me, and, and if they want. Look, I, I was always my my worst critic. My worst critic myself. Um, I knew when I messed up, and like I don't. You know, I'd be listening to replays, and so I can. Hit some people, some analysts would be saying that someone gave this horse a bad ride. And I would know that I didn't give it a bad ride. I know why I made the decision I did. And then, then there'd be times when you could get me praised for giving a yoke a great ride. And you know, I'd know on the back of my mind I gave it a terrible ride, but it was just good enough to win. So, you know, I always, without sounding arrogant, I, I always valued my own opinion and the people around me more than what other people were saying. I think that's a very important thing in life as well, is that you do have to be able to, obviously, to a certain extent, believe in yourself and value your own opinion. But at the same time, Ballydoyle is very much a business because it's attached to Coolmore. So if you're not good enough, you are not going to get the opportunities you were presented with. And yeah. the fact that you were proves that you were good enough. Yeah, well, um, um, thank you. But uh, yeah, uh, as I said, I, I, um, I, I think um, I used to always try and keep things simple in a race. And, and if a horse is good enough to win, I feel like I was able to win on it. And um, I think that's, that's all that... Um, you know, people can ask from a jockey, and and uh, I think I was able to um to give that in the in the last few years. So from champion jockey to some of your biggest and most famous successes on the race course, you had an incredible success. It seems like only yesterday, but it was 2016 in the Moyglare Stakes when you win a, your first Group One, and it couldn't have been better because the horse was bred by your mother, it's trained by your father, and I think. Uh, trained by, what am I saying? Horse was bred by your mother, trained by your brother, and I'm pretty certain, if I remember correctly, you managed to beat your father in the process. Yeah, no, that was a great day. And um, I think it was Joe's first group one or two, so it was, um, I think, I could be wrong there, but um, it was um, a great day all around. And um, no, it was uh, one I'll remember for a long time. And that was kind of you announcing yourself on the scene, but 2018 was a really special year for you. You had Saxon Warrior in the 2000 Guineas, first of all, um, to be entrusted with that ride because he had been so brilliant as a juvenile was indicative of that confidence that I was talking about that Coolmore clearly had on you. But to win that race obviously meant the world to you and to your family. Yeah, exactly. As you said, it was it was one of the you know bigger pressure rides. He was obviously a stallion prospect. He was an unbeaten two-year-old after winning um, the race in Bowes Trophy. I think it was or was it the you know that the Group One, anyway, whatever it was called. And um, um, I think it was still called that back then, wasn't it? I think it was. Yeah, it's the virtual yeah. fraternity now, but back then it was. Yeah, that, yeah. So um, he was he was um, 
a, a real classic prospect and obviously Ryan Ryan went to um, America to ride Mendelssohn in the Kentucky Derby so um and uh Shamey had um uh, I think it was a Gustav Klimt was yes. wrong there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so he, he actually he he was actually more fancied than my lad um coming up to the day. I think my lad my went off favourite, but um uh, Gustav was the was favourite I think up until the day the race. So um no everything aligned well and, and it gave me a great opportunity and um he was he was very, very good on the day. And only weeks after that you then won what would be the seventh Oaks for Aiden and your second classic with the Oaks and Forever Together. Yeah, she was um, another very good filly. Um, I rode her in um, Chester, and, and I thought I was unlucky on her. I, I gave her a very moderate ride that day, and um, and um, I knew she had a chance going to the Oaks. And when the ground came up soft, I thought it wouldn't help her because she was a nice moving filly. But um, we got a nice run down the, the stands rail, and the ground seems to be better there, and she was very impressive. I remember you swinging wide and coming down by the rail because mm. I was up on the opening show podium or something like that. We were standing on some health and safety issue thing that they actually wanted us wearing hard hats for. And okay. uh, you, came, you came flying past. It was it was really some sight. And what was particularly special was the fact that almost all of your family were over to you straight away to celebrate with you because Epsom is a very, very special place. Yeah, absolutely. It's... Um, it's um you know, it's one of the most famous race courses in the world, and um, to win a classic there and, and have you know all our family work very hard to achieve um, things like that. So um, it was great for them and, and great for everyone all the team. And just when you think the year couldn't get any better, along comes the Irish Derby and Joseph O'Brien's Latrobe. Um, yeah, exactly. It was um, you know he he was he was very unexposed. He was a horse. Joseph taught a lot of that too. Um, I think he might have had a little niggly issue that kept him off the track towards the end of that year. But um, he won a maiden impressively at Curra. Um And then off the back of that, he ran the Derby. And it was a weird kind of a race. We went slow. There was no pace. Um, and I got a good position early. And and um, it, it's when they go slow around that, that Derby track and at the Curra, it's very hard to peg back the leaders, as we saw last year. And um, uh, everything worked out well, and he's he's a, he's a very high class horse. He's a beautiful looking horse. So, um, you know, it was a, a, another great day as well. It's interesting you mentioned the tactics of the race because everybody was thinking Mark Johnston's DXB is going to go forward, and then yeah. for whatever reason, Sylvester de Souza didn't do that, and you had a different plan in mind, but you automatically and very quickly adapted to it, and it turned out to be the winning maneuver. Yeah, well, it, on paper it seemed like the logical thing to do for Sylvester to let him roll forward and, and when I when I read the race it looked like there was a lot of pace in it and kind of our plan our original plan was take your time a bit and kind of, you know, nearly ride him to run well. He's he, he wasn't a he wasn't a, one of the favourites. He wasn't an outsider, but you know, we'd you know, we we were looking for a good run from him. So um if if they went quick they'd have got tired and kind of that was the plan kind of three quarters halfway back but um we jumped out and Sylvester took back and everyone took back and, and we ended up going slow so I was drawn wide I wasn't going to have any cover either way so I said I may as well have no cover up front and have no cover you know sitting eight so it, it worked out well Was it Rostropovich you beat for Aiden? Yeah um, and then Saxon was third, I think. Yeah, Saxon. What do you make of Saxon Warrior's career, actually? Because he was a very, very talented juvenile and obviously kicked things off very well. And then it just seemed to... Were, were there niggling issues with him all along? Yeah, he was... He was. I think he, he was as good a horse as I've ever ridden. Um, and I've ridden plenty of good ones. Um, at home, he was an airplane. Um, in the guineas that day, he was incredible. Uh, he did the... 
you know, every race after the Guineas, he seemed to hang quite bad to the left in his in his races. Um, obviously, we got him checked inside out at home, and there was never anything on X-rays or scans or anything like that. But after um, Champions Champions Day at, at Leopardstown, it was um, I think it was his his um, that leg that actually picked up a little injury. So you know, you can never be sure whether they're just feeling something or not. But um, um, I don't think he was as best. Um, um, after the Guineas, to be honest. And that day at the Irish Derby, I remember watching it on television and Brian Gleeson's interview with Joseph and Aidan and Marie, uh, your sisters are in the background as well, and then with you. It was just surreal television. The, the whole place came alive um, and everybody felt like they were part of it. It was, uh, I mean, of all of the days, is that the one that stands out most to you or is there another one that is particularly special for you? It, it's... You know what? That's what we want to achieve: is to is to is to win derbies and, and win these big races. So it's you know it's it's not like you know some people. It's it, this is what we want to achieve: is that that's our that's our business. That's you know that's the goal. So it's it's um it's great when it comes off, but it's once it happens, it's it's moving to the next one and trying to do it again. Um, so you know it's it's fantastic when it pays off, but it's it's a result of a lot of work towards that rather than rather than it almost you know I think some people look at it as like feels like it's a shock that it happened or whatever, but like that's what we want to achieve. That's what we want to happen. So it's it's just it's good when it pays off. It's what you strive for uh, each and every day. Yeah, uh, exactly. If you were going to sign off on social media on the race course, you couldn't have signed off in better style. You win the the Sprint Cup, the Long Distance Cup on Q Gardens which is now Group 1, beating Stradivarius. And you give your father his first ever winner. Seems strange to say that, given all the wins he's had in the champion stakes at Ascot yeah. on the brilliant Magical, who's going to be back this year. That was a pretty phenomenal day at Ascot. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a great day. Again, it was, it was you know, this is, um, it was a kind of one of the, the big days that, that I was lucky enough to um, to be first jockey for Ballydoyle. And, and um you know, thankfully, Magical was favourite, and she won. And Q Gardens um, kind of showed how good we all thought he was, and you know everything went well. And and we probably should have won on Fleeting, but um, look, that's what happens. Fleeting is a bit of a funny one, though. She, she, we've talked about her a lot. She's a bit of a funny one. Yeah, she's a good filly. I think she's been unlucky, you know. Yeah, she'll. Is she back this season? Ooh. I think so. Oh, I we'll, think so. We'll, I'm, I'm not here very often about it, so I'm not 100% sure. Put her back in the At The Races tracker. We could have some more days with fleeting this year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> more opportunities to lose money and then go, ah, oh, damn it, I should have stuck with her. Uh, of all the horses you rode as a work rider, which of them would you have loved to have been on board for as a jockey? Well, Saxon was probably the best workhorse I ever rode. I mean, I have videos on, on my phone of him working. And he's just, he's, he's absolutely exceptional. You know, the way he was able to pick up and, and cover ground. But look, it's, 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 that's a hard thing to say. There's there's some very good horses that weren't particularly good workhorses. And um, there's some horses that are unbelievable workhorses and are not particularly good at the track. So it's, you know, it's, 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 it's only, it doesn't. Uh, relate as much as people might think. How does that, so your career as a jockey, now that you've switched and that you have dedicated yourself to training, you alluded to the fact that you're not somebody who wants to look back in the past, you want to move forward. So does that then apply to your career as a trainer as well, that you're now very, very focused on this next chapter of your life? Yeah, of course, that's that's what I'm doing now. And that's, um, that's my new job. And, and that's what I, I have to achieve now. And it's what I'm um, you know they're my new goals, so that's what I'm 100% focused on now. Is is I'm um, training horses. 
And you've done quite well so far in the limited time that you've had before the Rona hit and we yeah. all got locked down. Uh, two runners, two winners. Um, your first one being Flower Garland. I, I imagine there's a picture of Flower Garland somewhere in the house. Um, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Dundalk, not quite up to it. Look, as look as I said, this is, this is our job. Do you know what I mean? It's not. It's um. It's great when it happens, but uh, you know she wanna. You know when you break it down realistically, she she won a maiden Dundalk. You know that's what it is. That's what that's what happened, and um, it's great when it does happen. But um, you know it's it's um that that's that's what we want to happen. So I'm not sure it's something to be massively celebrated. <laughs> Take that Dundalk, have that. Uh, you do have a horse called Fancy Blue, who just yeah. jumps off the page on Pedigree, uh, beautifully bred yeah. out of Chechnikova, full sister to the late great High Chaparral, by Deep Impact by Saxon Warriors yeah. uh, Stallion. Ironically, you were on a new dawn for your brother when she won her listed contest. But the good thing was that while she was in Aiden's name, uh, Aiden did give you all of the credit. How has she been and how has she wintered? Yeah, she's good. Um, she's in good form. Um, we were kind of training her towards the guineas and then that got whatever delayed. And so it's a bit tricky kind of um, knowing where we were aiming for with her. But um, she's in good form. And... Um, I would imagine she might start off in the Irish Guineas. Look whether she's good enough for that. We don't know, but um, you know it's better to aim high, I suppose. And how the hell did you end up on the wrong horse? Um, I'm a very bad judge, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, well, um, New Dawn had had a very good run the time before, and um, Fancy Blue had only had one run. So um, Joseph convinced me to ride her. <laughs> oh, Joseph. Joseph, Joseph. Oh, no, it wasn't. Was it Dad, actually? I think Dad might have told me to write Joseph's so. Anyway, I'm not taking the blame myself. No, 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 it's not your fault. <laughs> it's not your fault. If the trainer exactly. tells you, then you've got to listen to the trainer. Exactly. Uh, what's your yeah. situation going to be with jockeys then this season? Um, so I have I have um, two apprentices with me full-time. That's Gavin Ryan and uh, Gary Mann from England is over with me as well. And then I'll be using, I'll be using, you know, I've mainly Coolmore horses, so I'll be using mainly the, the Coolmore guys, Ryan, Shamey and Wayne. And then um, obviously I have my own two lads to, um, to um, if any, any of them can't ride them and stuff like that. But look, there's no, there's no um, shortage of good riders around, so I'm, I'm sure I won't be left wanting. No, I can't imagine you will with the given long fields um, and, and the talent that I'm, I'm sure that you will have. How many horses do you currently have there? Um, 35. Nice number to start off with. And Yeah, it, exactly. Is there any temptation to do what Joseph has done and be a dual purpose trainer? Um, not really, to be honest. Um, look, I, there's a few horses there, like, you know, uh, Mythologic, who won that. Um, you know, we might, I don't know, we'll see, we might school him and see if he could run the maiden herd or something. But look, it's not, it's not something, it's not something I ever wanted to, I, my interest is, is on the flat, um, but it's what I prefer. So it's, um, that'll be my, my main goal, you know. That'll be music to some people's ears and others will be like, oh, how could you not want to a <laughs> jumper? That's, that's, that's sacrilege. Yeah, uh, maybe if some of them were too slow for the flat was. <laughs> Well, that, that is how it ends up, really, when, when you think about it. Um, Absolutely. In terms of uh, a derby prospect, so the, the derby is very interesting this year because now it's a five-day entry stage at, at this point. Yeah. Um, but there are still entries that you can get up, and, and you do have some horses entered for the race. Is, is there anything there that you are particularly keen on or anything that's showing you... Good um, things look, at I, don't, home? I don't. I'm not. I'm not. Um, this is this year, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so I have there's a few entries. Um, I would say probably the best chance of a runner in it might be Sharpa. Um, he won a maiden in Roscommon last year. He's working quite nice, so he might start off in a derby trial. But look, it's it's um, he's a long way to go before he can anyone can fancy him for a derby or anything like that. But he might be at the minute. He probably would be the one that would stand out as a possible runner. But um, look, that's it's a long way down the line. And you did slightly give the game away there, Donica, because you said, "Is that for this year?" Which then makes me suggest, <laughs> huh? You might have some nice two-year-olds. And I go through the list of two-year-olds. You've got so there's a good few Galileos there. Um, you've got one out of Homecoming Queen, uh, the 1,000 Guineas winner. Yeah. You've got one out of Nell Gwynn. You have a, a oh, no-name never. I all these out. <laughs> <laughs> I, went, I went, just after that, I went looking at the horses and training guide and went, ah, damn it, Donnick is not in it. Uh, <laughs> but we managed to, to come across some. Uh, any juveniles that you're particularly keen on? Uh, yeah, look, as you said, as you've listed out, I have some really nice bred horses. Um, some of them are working really nice, but um, look, it's it's when 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 you have a small population of horses, it's it's hard to know is is the one that's working the best. Is he a, is he a you know a ninety rated horse or is he one hundred and ten rated horse? You know, you, you can't tell because you, all you can tell is why he's beaten at home. So, um, or if you have a if you have a hundred two year olds, you know the best of the hundred is probably going to be a group one horse statistically, you know, but, um, so look, we'll see, but I have a few ones that, that I do like, um, but you know, you're not going to know what, what happens until they go to the track. That point that you make about knowing what you have. So the bloodstock game fascinates me and I'm always quite drawn to a very expensive Nearcos Coolmore horse. It always interests me. Oh, that cost 1.2 million. That must be very, very good. Doesn't always play out that way, though. And you would know that better than most work riding at Bally Doyle. It's a difficult game. A horse can look absolutely brilliant at the breeze ups or can look absolutely brilliant as a yearling, but it doesn't always translate that way. Oh, no, not at all. It's, it's um, you know, it's close to being a lottery, really. Um, you can have guys that are the best judges in the world of, of looking at a horse's confirmation and, and and judging its pedigree and you can put you know the best work rider that you have up and, and tell you it's lovely and that it can go to the track and it mightn't win a thing. And that's you know, I think in some ways that's the that's the beauty of racing in that in that literally, you know, the person that's been in the industry for forty years can 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 get it wrong and someone that has no idea what they're talking about and kind of guess can get it right and that's that's um, I think that's some kind of some part of the allure, you know. Does that make the job then that bit tougher for you, or is that part of the puzzle that you're fascinated about solving? That you may very well get a horse that cost something ec- extraordinary, like Newfoundland did, uh, or Olympic and Footsteps in the Sand, bred by Coolmore, Footsteps in the Sand. Olympic was a multi-million-dollar purchase, wasn't that good. He was just on a Danzig. Yeah. Um, being able to just on the race course is essentially where you're going to find out whether or not these horses are really up to it and then building a program around those horses. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, 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 you know, some people it's, it's, it's hard sometimes because you can, people can ask you about a two year old that might be first time out and, you know, they're, they're asking you, well, how good is he? And you kind of, you know, you might even in interviews and, and they ask me what you think of him and you kind of, you might like him. So you say you like him, but you don't know how good he is. And, and everyone kind of at home, I'm sure goes, Oh yeah, sure. Exactly. Whatever. And then, but you really don't know until they go to the track, you know, that's where trainers learn the most about their horses and, and, and where the public learn most about them. So it's, um, it, it's a hard one to judge sometimes. And isn't the other problem as well, that it doesn't really matter how great your facilities are. You might think you've got a horse that is doing the business and is the absolute world beat or nothing will stop him but you don't know what Mick Halford or Dermot Weld or John Gosden or Sir Michael Stout has 
you know, you're looking at it through the prism of what you've seen. It's not until you get to the co- course that you realize, oh, oh. Yeah, exactly. Like I always, I always think going up to a, a Guineas or something like that to have a chance of winning a Guineas, you have to be pretty sure you're going to win it. And, and if you think you might have a chance to run well in it, you probably shouldn't be in it. You know, it's, it's you always, you know, everyone everyone has a few horses at home that they think are, are, are top, top class. But obviously, if you have that many horses that people think are top class, they're not all top class. So it's um, it's certainly more competitive when, when you go to the track and, and everyone, you know, people people aren't going to run their horses that they don't think of a chance of winning. So if, if they're at the track turning up in them good maidens, it's, it's likely that their trainer thinks plenty of them. Are you taking an interest in the bloodstock side of things in terms of acquiring horses to the yard or are you leaving that aside and focusing on the job of training? Well, look, it's all it's all connected. It's all it's all part of it. So to have an interest in training and no interest in bloodstock would be pointless. You know, you have to you have to look at the picture as a whole and um, learn everything you can from every aspect of it. How much is involved in your day to day life now? Is it just all encompassing? Yeah, pretty much. It's um, I, I'm I'm in the yard from from um, seven till till half twelve or that, and then again from three till five. So. Um, it's 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 pretty pretty much yeah. And as a young man, are you comfortable with that? Yeah, look, it is what it is. You know, you have to. You're given. I'm being given an unbelievable opportunity. So it's it's um you know it's get on with it and get the job done now. And and um I've been trusted with these horses. So it's um you know it's 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 up to me now to to um you know reward what the trust that people have put in me. Are you going to miss race riding? Yeah, of course I will. Um, um, definitely on big days and things like that, I'll miss it. But um, look, there's no point in looking back. And you were talking about your young climbers. I think Gavin Ryan in particular is someone that you're quite keen on. Yeah, look, I think everyone that 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 um, that, that, that what knows Irish racing knows knows he's a promising young rider and he's he's a great fella and he's um big advantage to me in the yard. So um, he's going to definitely be an asset going forward. Are you someone who'll be quite hands on with your jockeys, or do you trust them to do the job for you? Um, look, I, I think the worst thing you can do to a jockey is tie them down to instructions because I, I don't, I don't agree with that at all. Um, but um, look at someone like Gavin, who's a bit younger than me and, and a bit less experienced. I'll of course, you know, tell him what I think and and, and what I suggest for a race. But um, look, there's no point in me telling telling guys like Brian or Shami or Wayne what to do because they probably know more than I do. <laughs> That's very humbling as well. Your father absolutely destroyed you in the raw egg challenge. Yeah, murdered you in it. Uh, that being said, if he rang you and said, "Ah, oh, this is all a bit too much. I need some horses taken off me. Can you manage these?" If if there were three horses at Bally Doyle that were to be sent to you, who oh, would you I request? Asked the other day is a horrible question. <laughs> Someone's I beat just, me to it, hasn't he? Oh, damn. I, I have enough. I have enough to be thinking about my own horses. I can't even think of what's in Bally Doyle. Um, <laughs> like, there's no point in me answering that question because. The answer I'll give you now would be different than one if I'd actually thought about it for 10 minutes. <laughs> well, will we say magical then? Yeah, of course, magical. Because um, she's back in training? Yeah, absolutely. You can put her on the list. There you go. She just, by default, she's back on the list. Yeah, absolutely. What are you most looking forward to once, please God, we're back in action, things resume, and we're all able well we won't be going racing this year but the racing will return so what are you most looking forward to in that regard yeah the same as every trainer just just to get the horses out now you know it's it's um there i've I've a few that are fit and ready to run and it's kind of it's a bit frustrating obviously look it's not we all understand what's happening and, and why it's happening and accept it but um you know uh, will be every trainer in in um 
in Ireland and Britain are going to be just looking forward to getting their horses out and um, you know showing, showing what they can do. Danica, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you on the Final Furlong podcast. I'm sure we'll be talking about you an awful lot as the season kicks into gear, but when it does, <laughs> finally, and, and for the right reasons, of course, uh, the very best of luck to you for the 2020 flat season when it all gets going. Thanks very much, Emma. Thank you. And uh, be safe in lockdown. We'll chat to you again. Donna O'Brien, the youngest trainer in Ireland. 22 in June, is that right? Uh, July, I think. July, Jesus, <laughs> you're making me feel old, man. Uh, that's Donna O'Brien <laughs> in the Final Follow Podcast. We're back with you on Monday when we're doing something very, very different. Donica won't be listening because it's a national hunt season review. No interest for Donica at all. Uh, but hopefully you like it. It was a short season, but we'll look back on it with some help from you as well. So we'll chat to you then. Thanks very much for listening. And we'll talk to you soon. God bless. Will it happen or won't it happen? You can bet on it with the Betfair Exchange. Proud sponsors of the Final Furlong Podcast. Have you downloaded the free app, The Races app yet? With easy to use race cards and form, expert daily tips, plus video replays and in-app betting, it's the app that no racing fan's phone should be without. Available for free on your iPhone or Android mobile, visit attheraces.com forward slash app for more details.